Hi, Tilly here. I just wanted to include this note in case you don't follow me on social media and missed it. On September 19th, we'll begin a nine-part series examining the trans allegory of Silo on Apple TV. We'll be discussing the show and all its brilliant transness in detail, so if you don't want to be spoiled, be sure you watch it first. The good news is Apple TV has a one-week free trial, so it won't even cost you anything. Okay, that's all. On with the show! Woo! Welcome to Tilly's Trans Tuesdays. This week we're getting into two topics. One is very straightforward and easy, and the other is convoluted and complex. But they're intrinsically related, so we're going to talk about them together. Let's get into misgendering and passing. Hi, I'm Tilly Bridges, your host, and I'm joined by my writing partner, my best friend, and my wife, our token cis representation, the first person to never, ever, ever misgender me, Susan Bridges. Oh, well, thank you. You were very good about it, even when I first started. Uh, yeah. It was nice. I put your new name in my phone. Yeah. So I, that would help me because we text so much. Yeah. Yeah. The only... Do you remember the one time I almost did? No. It, okay. I, I don't know if I should get into it. It was like... I was remembering something that yeah. happened a long time ago. Sure. And that's when I like something about that yeah. memory. Sure. Because you were used to my yeah. old name. Yeah. So that was the only time where I was like. But you didn't. So you caught yourself. It was weird though. Because like. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's let's <laughs> introduce this week's guest. Yeah, let's do that. Zoe Ann Wendler, an associate professor of technical writing at Ferris State University and the writer of Stained Glass Woman, a science education newsletter that looks at the science and philosophy of being trans, trans medicine, and the joys and struggles of transition. Welcome, Zoe. Hey, Tilly. Hey, Susan. It's great to be joining you this week. That sounds really cool. You sound really cool. I would have looked this. <laughs> She's very cool. We have been internet friends for a while. I like science. Science, science. is great. Yes. I like yeah. science too. And I mean, that's kind of the tech writer in me is that we live in the English department, but we do hard science. I love like, that. You know, we put together labs and run things through tests. It's great. It's a lot of Boom. fun. Okay, so I want to talk about this bit right away because you're one of the few other trans folks out there who's writing just so many essays about trans life and it's from an entirely different angle than what I do with Trans Tuesdays. And I think that's so cool because it means, you know, even more information and perspectives to help people out there. So how did that all start to tell everybody about it if they're not familiar with, with what it is you do? So Stained Glass Woman is basically most Mondays... I put out a, a new article that looks in depth and in specific at one thing to do with being trans or transition. Yeah. So a really good one that I did that I was 
you know, super proud of was kind of the idea that we are always observed as trans people. And mm. it's really hard to kind of exist in this, you know, in this culture without picking up internalized transphobia on the way. Yeah. Kind of this idea that it's better to be cis than trans when really they're just two different ways of being, neither one right. inherently good or, you know, better or worse. So like, for instance, in that one, I talk about the psychology of what it means to be constantly observed and to have this idea that you are constantly observed in your head and then the consequences of that on our behavior. And I got uh. into some of the theory behind that. It's called panopticon, which is just a really cool big word. I love it. That's a great word. Yeah. Oh, I love it. The idea is to kind of help peel back a little bit of these very common things that we as trans people deal with in our transitions and say, hey, there's actually science that talks about this. And here's what the science says. And I started out doing it because I'm a technical writer, actually. What we do is we translate complicated technical or medical or whatever stuff into plain English that, you know, pretty much anybody could understand. You know, when I first came out to myself, you know, I kind of went on a bender and read every single article I could get my hand on. Oh, yeah. Hands on yeah. about the science of being trans because I was I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I had like this giant stack of research that I'd done. And like, I understand that because one of my areas is biomedical communication. So just, you know, talking about diagnosis and medicine and stuff like that. You know, I just happened to be really good with that type of English and I wasn't doing anything with it. And I kept seeing the same questions come up over and over yeah. and over again in the community. And there was, you know, and we have lore, you know, stuff that we pass around from person to yep. person about what you can do about it. And some of it's, some of it's dead on accurate and some of it's really not supported by the science. So I decided to start speaking out on that mostly just as an opportunity to say, Hey, here's the state of the science. It may or may not be right, but here's the best information we have right now. Yeah. And based on that, here's what you can do to maybe hopefully have a little bit of a better time of things. You know, I'm so glad you're doing that because that is not a skill that a lot of people have. And it's really important to be able to convey that information in a way that's easier for people to understand. And I've even noticed with with this podcast, with my with the written form of the essays, or even with my Matrix book, I've had people come to me and say that I explained their feelings on things in ways that they couldn't put into words. And that's like, you know, part of the reason that I, I wanted to start doing all of this stuff to help people feel seen and understood. And, and I've had people say, oh, I showed this part of your book to, you know, my wife and she understands how I'm feeling better than she could before. And that's really vital. So I, I think that it's really great that you're doing that too. It, it's I think it's important that we use the skills we have to help if we can. And so and it's true that on the medical and technical side, writing skills are not that common. Yeah. Like, and yeah. as a writer myself and also as a technical person, my yeah. job is I'm an IT project manager actually at Apple. And so I, I get it. Like yeah. a lot of technical people tend to not have the skills of communication and vice versa. Right. So putting it together is actually really valuable. Yeah. And, you know, there are plenty of times too when even I've gone looking for medical information, something related to transition, and you find like papers about it, but you can't really understand what yeah. they're saying. You're like, is this even supporting what I think? Or you're not even sure. So and you can only see the abstract and you don't really know what the study Right, right. So I'm, yeah. I'm so yeah. glad that you are out there doing that. And it's so different from what I'm doing. And I think 
it's just as vital. So absolutely. Well, thank you. Yeah, and that's yeah. one of the advantages of being a professor is since I've got my university library, I've got access to all of those things. So I can yeah, get past the right. paywall and actually read what it says. Yeah. Okay. So for you, what has been the best thing about transitioning? The best thing, I mean, honestly, is trans community for me when you when you really get right down to it. Coming out to myself was absolutely terrifying. And in many yeah. ways, I've had a charmed transition. I've, I've been incredibly fortunate that most of the people in my life have been extremely supportive. My wife was thrilled. Thrilled? You know? Oh, that's that's an unusual response. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, like I told her and she's like, okay. <laughs> she like, she didn't have that time where you're like, oh God, oh God, oh God. Yeah. Which is incredible. But one of the things as I as I got into transition and I met other trans people and I really got into trans community is it felt in many ways like coming home. Yeah. And I could name any number of people who've made me feel like that. I've even wrote articles about it. But yeah, it's it's the people. Yeah. It, you know, I think that's really fascinating, too, because there's a connection that I feel, you know, with other trans people now. And it was something that was missing my entire life that I didn't have. And I didn't even know I was missing because, you know, dysphoria and when you're trans and don't know it, it's so isolating and lonely and you feel so lost. And so knowing other people who've gone through that and now being able to be there together with each other is a really special, magical thing. So I think that's yeah. really beautiful. But on the flip side of that, what has been the worst thing or, or one of the most difficult parts of transitioning for you? I mean, and I, this is also one of the reasons why I've stained glass women accessing quality care. Yeah. It's in many ways, the status of our caregivers is really shocking. And I think in no way was this illustrated to me better then about a year and a half ago, the Endocrine Society, so kind of the overseeing body for all endocrinologists. Yeah. And they're one of the groups that has formulated standards of care for our treatment. They put out a survey to their members just to kind of get an idea of what was the confidence level and the competence, right? Competence yeah. to be able to provide care. And of everybody they put it out to, fewer than 10% of all endocrinologists reported that they were highly confident in their ability to provide care to trans people. I wish that wasn't surprising. But... I mean, it is surprising that 10% admitted to it. That's what I'm surprised. Okay. Here's the, here's the worst <laughs> thing, though. That's not mm. the bad part. Oh, God. Okay. The bad part is they followed that up, right? That self-assessment. And then they asked these people one question just one question to assess whether they're you know competent on the most basic level yeah to provide care and the one question is what type of hormones should not be prescribed to trans women because they increase the risk of blood clotting <laughs> only five percent of all endocrinologists answered that question correctly wow didn't you yeah. get put on one that you shouldn't have been put on? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I sure did. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's and real that's common. The problem. Yeah. There, the, the, there's a training problem in medicine that goes all the way back to med school. And the fact that there is really not very sufficient continuing education 
for practicing endocrinologists, doctors, the whole nine yards. And combine that with the fact that our field of research is evolving absolutely at a breakneck pace. I mean, it is difficult to describe how quickly new information is coming down the pipeline. And some of it's really transformative and it fundamentally changes assumptions that assumptions and scientific understandings that we've had since the since the 30s, the 1930s. Yeah. So like a hundred years now. You know what? You're absolutely right because I think I mentioned in one of the recent episodes that I'm in the middle right now of sort of fighting with my own endocrinologist because his beliefs about the hormones that I want or that I'm taking or the amounts, the doses are very outdated. And mm -hmm. I have to be the one educating him about that. And then, of course, you, you feel a little bit of pushback because they're like, well, I'm the professional. I know better than you. And why are you telling me and don't send me these links? I'm like, but you need to see these links because you are yeah. so behind the times. And I need the care that I need. And to be honest, medical education is one of those things that's really broken as well. Yeah. Because I, I worked in medical education for a year and really most of the medical education is funding from major drug companies who are pushing yep. the newest drug. And yeah. doctors are required to do a certain amount of medical education. And so this is where they end up. And there's really not a whole lot of money in trans healthcare or in correct hormones, which... I know, and you've got transphobes out there saying it's making a lot of money. Yeah, sure it is, buddy. Yeah. I like make really, nobody any money. That is like the most ridiculous thing. Yeah. It's like anyone who says liberal Hollywood, and I laugh, and yeah, I yeah. laugh. Yeah, it's not, not, not how it is. It's just not how it is. Yeah. A month's worth of oral estrogen can easily be gotten off of Amazon Pharmacy or any other mail order pharmacy for five bucks. It's yeah. nobody ever got rich off of selling estrogen. <laughs> no, and that's why no one's teaching about it because exactly. why would you? It's not going to make anyone any money. Yay, capitalism! Yeah. All right, we're if we're if we're not careful, we're going to get into an entirely different episode here. <laughs> so let us move on. Okay. Um, but before we do, Zoe, let people know where they can find you and Stained Glass Woman online. So I run Stained Glass Woman off of Substack. It's stainedglasswoman.substack.com, or you can literally just Google it on the top result. Excellent. And also will be in the show notes, a link. So be sure that you check those and go read and educate yourself. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm to be on topic. Okay. Yes. Here we go. Okay. So misgendering quite clearly is when someone genders another the wrong way. This doesn't just happen to trans people, mind you. It can happen to cis folks too, especially if they don't conform to the rigid stereotypes of what women in med quote unquote should look or act or sound like. In fact, if you check out the Trans Tuesday on Trans Rep in the Media 2022 in Movies and TV, episode 3 of this show, you can see misgendering cis people is often played for laughs. It's a joke, isn't it funny? Someone mistook this girl for a boy. Oh, 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 it is to laugh. Passing is the more complicated issue, but only in terms of talking about it. It's incredibly easy to understand. If you're not familiar, it's when a trans person can quote-unquote pass or be seen as a cis person of their gender. And already you can hopefully see how fraught and delicate that topic is because you're talking about the ways other people perceive us and that is all wrapped up in societal norms and implicit biases. See the Trans Tuesday on implicit queerphobia for more info. I've gotten misgendered a lot. Most trans people have and that's also because of the implicit queerphobia and sexism and a whole host of other issues society imprints on us because we were raised inside of it. We're led to believe women and men, quote, unquote should, and that is in heavy quotes, 
look and behave a certain way. And if someone doesn't, or worse, and that is in mega quotes, worse, is read as a gender different than what we are, we get misgendered. I have a fine, horrible example for you. I'm at the pharmacy picking up prescriptions. The woman at the register proceeds to call me sir six times in the span of five minutes. In case you're wondering so you understand the situation, my hair was down and is quite long. I'm wearing ladies' cat eyeglasses, a lady-cut leather jacket which is unzipped with visible boobs in my bra under a shirt, lady-cut jeans, and a goddamn purse. I'm wearing a mask and it is light pink, and the mask covers what I feel is the most masculine part of my face, my jawline. And I've spent over two years in voice therapy to feminize my voice. What else do I have to do? How are you still choosing to call me sir? I do not believe this cashier was being malicious about it. Actually, it's possible she never even looked at me long enough for it to register and was replying to me simply based on my voice, which, again, I've been working on for a very long time. Either way, the result is I was specifically coded the way our society codes women, saying, look at me, woman, right here, and it didn't matter. And it just wrecked me for the rest of the day. It actually might have been easier to deal with if it had been intentional and malicious, because then, while still awful, you can be like, well, they're just a bigot and their opinions are wrong and it doesn't matter anyway. But no, here was just a person who absolutely did not or did not care to see me as the person I am. And I'm doing everything I can to make you see me. Please see me. I'm right here. Look, this ties right into the Trans Tuesday Unconfidence, which was episode 31 of this show. Zoe, I wanted to ask... What has misgendering been like for you? I mean, it's awful, but does it happen to you a lot, even when you're doing everything in your power to prevent it? I actually don't get misgendered very much anymore. Okay. I struggled That's great. with it early on. Yeah. I think it's but, definitely I mean, harder at the beginning for yeah, everybody. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, and I I started off with a, a very, very, very long way to go from my voice to my appearance, a whole nine yards. Yeah. And I mean... One of the things that I try to to hold in my mind when it does happen from time to time is that, you know, my wife gets misgendered pretty regularly and she cannot easily be, be mistaken for a man. Yeah. And I mean, and it may just be because, again, I'm a science nerd, but I actually find a lot of comfort in the psychology of how gendering happens and some of the some of the cognitive science behind it. Sure because it's a massively error prone action it's it's one of the things that people do in general that is we are most likely to screw up on yeah because and here's one that a lot of people don't realize when you look at an unknown person so you see just kind of a you know i'm about to encounter a human being it only takes about 100 milliseconds 0.1 seconds for your brain to cough up a best guess at what that person's gender is. And then once it has, that guess is really sticky. It takes a lot of work to disrupt it. Yeah. Yeah. So just because of some of those like core cognitive reflexes that are going on in the back of people's heads, I, I really do work to try and give people grace, especially when they're not like, when they're not being obnoxious and they're not obviously trying to be malicious. Yeah. And I mean, any cis woman who's ever been on the you know phone, ask any cis woman, when was the last time you were misgendered on the phone? And they'll probably tell you no more than three or four months ago. It really is that common. Yeah. Well, trans people 
have spent mm-hmm. our lives not being seen, feeling alone oh, yeah. and isolated in our own bodies. We finally discover the truth, get the courage to transition in a society that discriminates against us and often actively harms us, and we're still not seen, and it can be really devastating. When it happened to me, it made me feel smaller than I ever did when making myself small because of dysphoria. It was worse. It was so much worse. It made me feel like no matter what I do, maybe the world will never see me. And this is where we dovetail with passing. No trans person should have to pass to be accepted as themselves in society. We should all be able to just be ourselves, whatever our most true self may be, and that should be the end of it. But our society is deeply flawed in so many ways, and sadly, it just doesn't work like that. I don't think I pass, but I also don't want to. I'm fine if people read me as trans because I'm so proud to be trans, truly. But there's a safety issue at play, right? Because violence against trans people, especially us trans women, is an epidemic. Cis women have it bad too, don't misunderstand, but it's not the same. The danger is definitely heightened when your variety of women is trans. So if a trans person can pass, it can help them be more safe and even more accepted by the cis people around them. If they read us as one of them, they're less likely to otherize us or harass us or worse. I don't care if I pass, but if I did, I'd get she and her and miss much more often affirming me as who I am. I wouldn't get discriminated against for being trans, but still definitely would for being a woman. If I passed, I wouldn't get stared at by so many people every time I'm out, where I can see the gears turning in their heads as they try to figure out my gender as if it's in any way relevant to them or any of their business. You can see the Trans Tuesday on trans people are human beings, aka stop staring at us for more on what that does to a person. If I passed, I wouldn't have my DMs full of chasers popping in to harass me, sexualize me, and then immediately spout transphobic vitriol at me if I don't respond positively. There's a whole Trans Tuesday on chasers and the fetishization of trans women. No trans person should have to pass just to be treated like a human being. And I just wanted to say, like, why do so many people stare? My God. It's really... How are you raised? Right? Like, honestly, like, I just... And then I stare back at them. You do. Yeah. Yeah. With murder in my eyes. (laughs) Well, then there's also the other side of the coin, where if you feel you need to pass because you can't or don't want to, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. look trans, that's a big problem and is internalized transphobia at work. And yes, of course, there's a Trans Tuesday on it, episode 18 of this podcast. So Zoe, let's talk about your thoughts on passing. Where, Where do you fall on that? It's really complicated. I actually yeah. try to avoid passing as a term because of its roots in Black culture and history and its explicit meaning in that context of being perceived as someone you're not. Right. So if nobody's heard this, heard the history, uh, passing is a term that came out of the, in the 1800s when Black folks who had more pale skin tones would be able to be pale enough to be read as white. And so some of these folks who could would live as white folks in order to kind of attain and escape a lot of the persecution and prosecution that, and I mean the prosecution literally, you know, with with the Fugitive Slave Act that they'd have to endure. But getting surdermammed as is appropriate to your gender identity is like, it, it is so important and so central because ultimately what transition publicly comes down to is being seen for who you are after a lifetime, however long your life has been coming up to the point of transition after a lifetime of not being seen for who you are. For me, that invisibility, like 
you know, when it's coming from someone who is not being malicious, the people who are just trying to be jerks, they, you know, they don't even bother me anymore. Yeah. But, you know, that's deeply saddening to me, I think, at my deepest level, because I don't want to be invisible anymore. Totally get it. Yeah, exactly. Like that episode I just had about confidence. I mm -hmm. want to be seen. See me. I'm right here. Hello. Please finally see me for the first time in my life. But I do like that passing as who you are versus mm -hmm. who you are not historically. That's a very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I resist the term a little bit. I, like I'm not going to mm -hmm. release anybody's language on it, but it feels to me like it's almost the exact opposite of what the term has historically meant and mm -hmm. what we often use it as. And I think a lot of the history of that comes down to kind of the crossover with the cross-dressing population for whom when they pass as a woman or a man, depending on how they're presenting, it is passing as something they're not because, mm -hmm, you know, right. okay, you know, a cross-dresser is in a dress and full face of makeup, but he's still a dude or vice versa for right. a, a, someone who's cross-dressing as a man. You know, they're still a guy or a girl on the inside. So passing works for them. So I think it's just sort of a, a, a bit of terminology we picked up along the way. And maybe we as a community just haven't quite thought about it. Yeah, I think that's that's really important. It's a thing I think not a lot of people know. And, you know, language is always changing and evolving over time. So it's important to know where, where things come from. Mm -hmm. As I've mentioned before, I think a few times, a little tiny part of me does wish that I was a cis woman only because it would be so much easier. And because of all the experiences as a young girl that I missed out on. But it's not really being cis that I want. I just want a life that's not so hard and the life experiences I missed. And for more on that, you can see the constant fight for the way cis people make trans existence a constant and necessary fight for survival by design. And then you can see the past and why it haunts us for how difficult our own pasts can be for trans people who transition as adults. And that was episode two of this show. But I am proud of being trans. It's who I am. And it took so much work and self-reflection and courage. And I'm proud as hell of all of it. Every trans person should be. I don't want to hide it and I shouldn't have to. But I'm not here to judge any trans person who passes. None of us should judge any trans person for whether they pass or not or want to pass or not. Everyone has to decide what's best for them. And even that can be in flux over time as we learn and change and grow. And that's fine. Just let people be. Maybe what would help is somehow doing away with sir and miss and ma'am entirely. Do we need these gender words? If the cashier at the pharmacy that I mentioned before had simply said, sorry for the delay, instead of sorry for the delay, sir, it would have been no less respectful, right? So what are your thoughts? I mean, you got into this a little bit earlier, Zoe, but on the gendered honorifics, because, you know, do you, do you have the same love-hate relationship with them? Because I hate when they're wrong, but I love when they're right. And it's it's so complicated. So I have an absolutely dear friend and she actually does some DEI training at her job. And I love a lot of the way she comes at it because she works at a job that is incredibly supportive. They care, but she's one of the first visible trans people who transitioned on the job there. And so like she has a lot of coworkers who are trying to be really inclusive and they'll go for kind of the gender neutral, they, them. It's just right. like, wait, no, please don't degender me. And meanwhile, on the other hand, 
I'm a teacher. We talk to teachers. It's kind of what we do. I know of a K-12 teacher who's non-binary and doesn't want either Mr. or Miss or Mrs. None of that doesn't like mix, just doesn't Uh jive for them. Yeah. And so they, they use their first name for their class, but not all their students like it. They want an honorific for, right. For this teacher. So they threw it back at the class. It's like, okay, give me a list of, of honorifics that you think we could use. And we can use one of them that I like and that you like. And I didn't hear what they eventually settled on, but like captain and chef. (laughs) Yep. So that the students, because there were a number of students that watched those reality cooking TV shows and they wanted to be able to go, yes, chef. Yeah. (laughs) No, we mentioned that even before on one of these episodes where I said people should, we should just start using captain, you know, because it's like, it's so respectful. Hey, captain. It's such a tension, I feel, because on one hand, when you are a binary trans person, being read definitively in that kind of casual, honorific way, that is a sign where you're like, I made it. I am being perceived as me. And that invisibility is gone. But it's the exact opposite for non-binary folks who don't want to be read in a binary way. And I've put a lot, like, I've thought a lot about this one not just as a result of being on this episode, but, you know, over the last couple of years. And I really don't know what a good solution for this, because we have the real emotional needs of two of the members of two different groups of our society, our our community, some of whom need to be read as a in a binary way to know that they are being seen for who they are and some of them who absolutely must not for the exact yeah. same reason. Right. And that's a tension that I don't know how to resolve. Yeah. It's really hard. I mean, the... yeah, a lot of these conversations leave out non-binary people. Right. And that's exactly where I was going to go next. You know, that mm-hmm. I, I can't help but think about them for who all of those gendered words are going to make them feel like they're not seen. And, you know, if they just go to see a show and it opens with an address of ladies and gentlemen, they're already left out. And that's terrible. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's an easy answer. There's probably not, other than simply asking someone their pronouns before you begin a discussion with them. And that's also part of why putting your pronouns in your bios on social media is so important, because it normalizes it. It's an easy show of support from cis allies to say, hey, telling people your pronouns or asking someone for them is perfectly fine, and we should all do it all the time. And maybe we should just change, ladies and gentlemen, to people of Earth. People of Mm -hmm. Earth. Yes. Well, and you can have so much fun with those general ones. Like, yeah, I have to greet my class at the beginning of class all the time. And it's like, hello, assorted troublemakers. Yes. There's so much fun you can have with it. Yeah, indeed. Absolutely. Thank you for being here, Zoe. Of course. It's been a pleasure. Until our society, our language and our lexicon can come up with some better way of addressing people respectfully without gendering them at all, please just ask. Because that simple act could be the difference between a trans person feeling seen and affirmed and like they belong in the world, or their entire day being ruined and maybe feeling like nobody in the world will ever really see them. And just ask people their pronouns. It's not hard and could mean the world to someone. Signed, the lady who still sprouts wings and takes flight when someone refers to her with she or her or hey you tall buff lady. Tilly Bridges, End Transmission. Tilly's Trans Tuesdays is hosted by Tilly Bridges and Susan Bridges with audio editing and sound mixing by Julian Morgan. Special thanks to Daisy and Jane for the use of Sorry Not Sorry as our show's theme music. 
please stop by and show your support at daisyandjane.bandcamp.com and soundcloud.com slash daisyandjane. You can find me at Tilly Bridges on Twitter and Hive, on Mastodon at tillybridges at mastodon.social, at facebook.com slash tillysbridges, and on Insta at heckyeahtillybridges. And you can find Susan on all of those at Susan L. Bridges. The Google Doc and social media versions of this week's topic and all past topics are available at tillystranstuesdays.com. For more information, visit pendantaudio.com. Thanks for listening. I'm going to try that again. Sorry, Jillian. Jillian's our editor. I put her through so much torture. Okay.